Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, everybody. Hi, guys. And welcome to Date Mates. This is the podcast for young people, for millennials, mm-hmm. who don't understand the opposite sex. Mm-hmm. And you want to get all of your dating questions resolved. Yes. I am Kieran. Kieran, ladies first. So, hi, guys. My name is Lydiana, and this is Kieran. <laughs> we met on Tinder in 2017, but she ghosted me. I ghosted you after a couple of days. Not immediately. It was the most pain I've ever experienced. But then, listener, then I was fortunate enough to bump into Lydiana outside of a club (laughs) in London. We both at that time didn't remember each other from Tinder, Mm -hmm. but we just met again Mm -hmm. and we got to talking. And she told me she teaches sensual dance for women. And you know what? I quite liked the sound of that. (laughs) So I took her Instagram (laughs) under fallacious... pretenses fast forward two years we never ever did speak on instagram and now we have our own dating related podcast yes and i'm so excited me too amazing so let's get started this podcast is a royfield brown production find others on itunes all right yeah i know Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. Brexit means Brexit. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. Hello and welcome to Mid-Atlantic. This is one of those special shows uh, where I throw the format out the window and just have a conversation. A conversation with somebody who has produced some really interesting and thought-provoking work. Uh, I got a tweet. This guy was incredibly clever. He tweeted just about everybody online who has an interest (laughs) in uh, the American presidency and basically said, I've done some work. Have a look at this. And it made for a compelling read. So today I'm speaking to Ms. Uh, Misha Leibovich and he's going to tell us about this, uh, this seminal work which he's done, which <laughs> gives us hints and tips on the future of the American presidency by looking at past cycles. Hello Misha, how are you? Good, how are you doing? I found your article utterly fascinating. Thank you. And you uh, displayed it in a very digestible way. So, um, first off, um, we, ha- we have to look at the premise. So, the premise of, of your great article 
which is entitled How History Predicts the 2020 Election and the Next 40 Years. Uh, the, the fundamental premise is this, is the first line, was the next president of the United States will be a transformational progressive. This person will shape American politics for the next 40 years. Here's why. Uh, very quickly, how so? Um, so basically, um, you know, I started looking at um, cycles in, mm-hmm. uh, in U.S. Um, uh, presidential history. I think I've always loved U.S. history just specifically. Maybe it's being a first-generation American. Maybe I just like it. Who knows? Um, and I'm also like an engineering and science guy. I'm a tech entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And so I'm always looking at for like patterns and whatever. Um, and so the, the, the impetus I remember in when, when Obama was running in 2008, he was talking about, um, uh, why certain presidents were transformational. And he brought up Reagan, um, and how Reagan was transformational in a way that neither Nixon nor Clinton were. And I had thought about that and I started, you know, this notion was planned about transformational presidents. And then when Trump won in 2016, um, I started thinking, okay, well, what does this tell us about, about cycles, like, you know, within our own country, like, you know, comparing to other powerful countries throughout history, like, what does this mean? And so I decided to try to, um, to kind of map this out and see if there was any patterns. Um, mm-hmm. And so um, when I was doing that, I realized that um, when you sort of take the presidents who are consensus um, agreed as transformational and going backwards, that's Reagan, uh, FDR, uh, TR, Lincoln, Jackson, and Washington in the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, which actually corresponds very nicely. There's a, um, a, a political theory say, called the, the number of party systems. They say we're the sixth party system right now um, mm-hmm. since Reagan. And so I did that. And then I, and just literally in a spreadsheet, and then I started filling out the other presidents from there going down. And I just noticed these patterns. And it was just, wasn't something I was looking for. Um, I was actually, my, my question going in was, does Trump himself represent the start of a new era? Maybe. Mm. Um, yeah, I wanted to, you know, just for my own curiosity, answer that question. But what I saw was this curious pattern that um, after a transformational president, there's a reasonably, actually almost perfectly predictable pattern then of what happens after that. And, there, and, and yeah. this is regardless of whether the president's party is voted out. You know, you still see this pattern, do you? Yeah. So, so basically these patterns are then dictated by elections, you know, so it's the people choosing freely every time. It's just, mm-hmm. it, it's interesting that, that it, that it keeps happening in, in the same way. Just notice these patterns and I just like color coded it to see like, oh, wow, it kind of goes, you know, transformer, same party, other party, same party, other party, same party. Mm-hmm. Boom. And then it happens again. Um, and so, you know, I saw that. Um, and then I was looking at sort of the, the, the rows across and I noticed, that all the Transformers had some stuff in common. Um, all of the other roles, which I named Continuer, Triangulator, Reimaginer, Precursor, and Ender, all of them had similar characteristics. Now, I mean, president, presidents are complex figures, right? So mm-hmm. you can't just encapsulate an entire person in, in, in a neat label. Like, I get that. Um, but at the same time, you know, it, it held reasonably well. Um, and so that sort of like got me looking into it. And then I did some other analysis from there. So do you think that this 40-year cycle is specifically unique to American politics and its economic cycle? Or is this something which you can extrapolate throughout, let's say, 
uh, established Western democracies? It's a good question. Um, and one that, you know, if I wanted to kind of fur further continue into this, I would start looking at, you know, UK prime ministers, US governors, like, you know, um, French presidents, like, you know, stuff like that. Um, you know, it is a reasonably consistent 40 year cycle. Sometimes it's eight years more, sometimes it's eight years less, but, um, but more or less about 40 years. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, that's approximately the length of like a, um, like, like a generation's 20 years, but like a sort of like a working generation. Like, like there's all new people roughly every, every 40 years. Mm -hmm. Um, and so one would think, I mean, in the U.S., we have a very predictable cycle of elections every four years, right? Um, and that's mm -hmm. held, you know, since, since the founding. Um, and so, it's kind of weird that this pattern would hold, right? Because wars happen, recessions happen, all kinds of weird stuff happens, but this pattern holds. And the only thing I can think is that it must be generational um, in one form or another, um, where you get sort of um, one so one president comes along and defines an era, right? And they mm -hmm. basically define the political conversation for the next 40 years. I think that Obama, I happen to to support him, but I think that even he would probably say that he was not a transformational president. Um, I think if he was running today, he might have been. But, you know, in 2008, which was the right time to him for him to run for his political career, um, I think we were still very much in the Reagan era. And all the discussion we were having was still in the framework that Reagan set up. And Obama kind of previewed, I think, what is to come. But yeah, I think it's generational. Um, if that's true, though, then mm -hmm. one would think that it would hold in governorships and in, 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 in other presidencies and prime ministerships. Um, and so that's, that's sort of, um, unknown right now to me, um, and, and something to look into. But I would imagine you would see some sort of similar patterns where there's a stable democracy over, you know, a reasonably long period of time. The president began this campaign with the same attitude with which he has approached so many of the serious problems of the past three years. He sought to create the impression that there was no campaign on at all, just as he had sought to create the impression that all was well with the United States and that there was no depression. The present leadership in Washington stands convicted, not because it did not have the means to plan, but fundamentally because it did not have the will to do. And that is why next week, the American people will register their firm conviction that this administration has utterly and entirely failed, failed to meet the great emergency of modern times. I'm, I'm kind of going back when I was reading this and without getting pencil and paper out, um, I went, okay, so 1945 is seen as a transformational moment in UK politics. Um, it's the end of the Second World War. Uh, Britain is no longer really a world empire. We still have one, but economically we're spent. And that Labour government under Clement Attlee uh, founds the National Health Service. Um, so that's universal health for everybody. It's the biggest uh, achievement. 
That's and it. and then with that then came the kind of post-war consensus. So even though the Conservative Party went to that election against that, when Churchill then comes into power in the early 1950s for the second time he comes right. into power, he doesn't roll that back. Right. And then there is this post-war consensus which lasts all the way until Thatcher in 1979. So your theory just about holds up, you know, that Thatcher is the transformational uh, Prime Minister in Britain in 1979, which then leads on to the era of the individual, sure. as, you, as you would kind of term it. Absolutely. And I suppose, going back to your last point, that um, you would see potentially Barack Obama with his uh, Affordable Care Act as being precursor to much more radical state intervention into um, American society with this progressive which will come next. So looking at your hypothesis, we're going to get what a Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren with some kind of health care for all. But also, but, but really what it's saying is that uh, the role of the state, um, the state has a role in helping to equal out America's inequalities. Yeah, so then I, Obama would be then that precursor. Yeah, I, I, I think so. And, and look, I think that these um, these eras, they, they go back and forth. And I actually think that, you know, I happen to be more left-leaning, but I think it's actually very healthy for a system to um, to for the pendulum to swing one way or the mm-hmm. other. And sort of, I, you know, I'm going to write another article about this that I just have like the notes for right now, but I'll give you a little preview here. Um, I think that the, um, you know, it, it's like a forest. Right. So, so a forest, you need trees to grow, right? Um, mm-hmm. and you're for it to be healthy. But then also you need forest fires, like trees falling down, you know, occasional blights. I mean, you need things to happen. Otherwise the forest gets overgrown and it's actually not healthy for the forest. So you need growing and you need thinning. Mm-hmm. And so the way I look at it, um, with the FDR era, which I called the collectivist era, um, that was an era to like invest in the future. Um, invest in the country. And you had all these programs come out of the New Deal. Then you had, you know, um, uh, Kennedy and Johnson even further that as, as sort of reimaginers, um, you know, in that same era, era. And there was a lot of growth. But then what happens after 40 years of that? You get a whole new set of people um, who, are, who are all there. They were not there for the beginning of the era. So they have their own sort of um, different mentality. Um, human nature suggests that when you build things up, Eventually, um, think, you know, systems become complacent. They become bloated. Um, people get very comfortable in, in doing what they're supposed to do. And that's not healthy either. So then Reagan comes in, 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 in 80. And if it wasn't Reagan, it would have been somebody else. Um, and I, while I don't, you know, uh, necessarily support his policies, I do think that it's healthy for the system to have a, a back and forth, a growing, and a thinning, and a growing and a thinning. It's sort of two steps forward, one step back. Mm. And that's actually okay. Um, and so in the same way that I think there will be a new FDR-ish in 2020, I think there will be a new Reagan in 2060. And that's totally natural and totally okay. Um, c- can we quibble about Please, some of the um, the durations here? Because, sure. all right, so looking at that era, so you've got the trans former era, which is uh, 1932, first FDR administration to the end of Jimmy Carter. Right. And that and, and fundamentally what FDR does is the New Deal. Right. 
So is this a significant state intervention into the American economy and into, sure. into American society? And that leads the Democratic Party to be the majority party for that period. And it only loses to Eisenhower, who was actually a pro-New Deal Republican in 52 and sure. 56. Um, by the time we get to Richard Nixon, um, there aren't any New Deal Democrats really still left in the party. At least there are, but they're all old, aren't they? They're sure. old and they're tired. And sure. by that point, the Democratic Party has been overtaken by beatniks and uh, people who are very much the, the, the product of the new kind of race relations which is sure. going on uh, oh, yeah. through America. So can we quibble and say that you've extended um, that period too long and that actually Richard Nixon is, um, is not just a precursor, but actually he is something else. Mm. Okay, well, what would you suggest? Um, good question. I don't know. Uh, but one thing that Nixon was, was, you know what, I actually agree with what you've said. Maybe, maybe it's because um, I'm not putting enough thought in and the, your theory has actually blown me away. But I do really see, though, on a serious point, that by the time you had Kennedy in, in 1960 and Johnson, and Johnson very much was a New Deal Democrat, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That, but Carter wasn't in, in, in the same regard. He's, he's a different generation, Jimmy Carter. For sure. And in, by the time of 1976, Americans aren't overtly fighting uh, the battles of civil rights. They're, they're being enacted. So there is busing, whether busing worked or not. Busing is happening. Um, State legislators and cities are accommodating that whether they want to or not. You know, so it feels to me like qu quite a different time. And, and almost like Carter and Nixon almost feel like an interregnum for me. As yeah, opposed it, it to. It kind of is. Well, it, it kind of is in, in the same way that I think that when we, you know, if my theory holds, which, you know, mm -hmm. there's no reason it has to, but if it does. I think that Obama and Trump will kind of be viewed in the same way. Um, you say that, that Carter is no FDR, like for sure, but Trump is no Reagan either. You know, it, it, it like mm -hmm. I, I kind of liken it to, um, to they're trying to sing the same songs. So, um, I used to, uh, growing up, I went to Hebrew school. My, my family is Jewish and, mm -hmm. um, you know, we learn all these prayers, right? And I would sort of like just learn them through like memorization, but you know, like I knew enough Hebrew for my bar mitzvah, but like, you know, I'm not like a fluent speaker or anything. And so I would sing these songs and I would have sort of memorized them and memorize the sounds, right? But I didn't actually know really, really, really like what it meant. It, so it doesn't, it doesn't come from the same like genuine place because I'm not actually a Hebrew speaker. And so I think that Trump, for example, is saying a lot of these Reagan things, but it's like, it's like he's trying to sing in a different language and he doesn't know the words. You know, it's kind of like the same, the same um, uh, frameworks and trying to uh, emulate to some degree, but it's just, it's sort of the end of an era. I mean, I think, you know, I, I could be wrong, mm. um, but, but I think Carter and Trump will end up being seen, I think, as playing similar roles. Not, not to equate them in terms of their performance or character or anything like that, just the roles that they played, um, I think will end up being seen pretty similar. Kind of one of the interesting things uh, that you had in your article was um, you have the rankings and there are kind of 
received wisdom on presidential rankings. Some presidents might go up and down slightly, but right. you know, number one is always Lincoln, number two is always Washington, right. and then there is a general consensus of who the good ones are right. and who the bad ones are. Um, does that then mean then that the enders, and really we should may, maybe go through uh, your definitions. Um, so you've got the transformer, so that's your transformative president. Right. You have your continuer, which kind of makes sense, and that is uh, the, the the president who really just continues the program, the vision of the transformer. Yeah, the the, 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 the sidekick, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. Then you got the triangulator. Uh, describe that person to me. So, so to me, the triangulator is the other party who wasn't the transforming party, being like, "Oh, okay, we're in a new era. It's a new ball game. There's new rules. There's new conversation. What do we do?" Um, mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, Clinton very much was like the third way. Um, mm-hmm. How do we be a, it was a very different kind of liberalism than the classic, you know, liberalism of the, you know, 30s and 40s to, to 60s and 70s. Um, and so it was like, here's how, here's the Democrats answer to this era. And the same the with, federal um, with crime Eisen- bill, federal yeah, crime bill, right. And, and, and welfare bill and like all, all kinds of stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, and then in the same way, Eisenhower was a very different kind of Republican than had come along previously. So, Mm -hmm. um, and if you look back, I mean, uh, Wilson was a very different kind of Democrat than previously and, and so on, you know, um, going back. And I think it's just the other party after 12 years or, or longer of being out of power, kind of like figuring out the new game and and how to adjust. So then we have the reimaginator. Yeah. Yeah. Reimaginer. And, and that's like, kind of the the second wind where um it's trying to kind of re you know it's like the original party then lost the white house for a bit to the uh to the triangulator and then they're like okay you know what we got this um we're going to do it again and it's basically very similar to the transformer with like a few adjustments you know because it's typically something like 20 years later um with a few adjustments but by mm-hmm. and large um uh, or 12 to 20 years later um, by and large, um, the, uh, the reimaginer, it's like Bush, you know, or, or eight George W. Bush was sort of like a lot of the, st- like very similar to Reagan policies, but like a slightly different take, you know, uh, Kennedy mm-hmm. and Johnson, very similar to what FDR was trying to do, but like a modernized take. All right. And then we have the precursor who we've talked about potentially with Obama. And that is the person that gives you the hint of the next era. Correct. Yeah, you can see where things are going. It's not quite ready to get there yet, but um, it gives you it gives you a hint of what's to come. Okay, and then the ender, which we've we've also talked about. Now, is it possible? And this is the question I was going to ask ask before, and I realised we hadn't actually gone through your different categories of sure. different types of presidency. Sure. Is it possible, considering there are these historical rankings of how good uh, a president actually was in office and how um, important they've been in the in the history and the development of the United States, is it possible for an ender to be a great president? Not a transformative one, because he's an ender, but can an ender still be a great president? Hmm. History would suggest no. Um, You know, like the historical patterns would suggest that. And the Mm -hmm. reason being that if this cycle is correct, no, if it is, then... um, then it's really hard at the very tail end of like when something is expiring to do yeah. something great. Um, and, and that's also almost juxtaposed because the enders tend to be your lower ranked presidents. Then your transformers who come next, just by dint of, uh, of, of comparison, 
end up being super great looking. Like, like FDR looks great compared to Hoover. Um, you know, and, uh, and, 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 uh, Reagan was incredibly, arguably more effective than, uh, than, than Carter, Carter. um, was, it was before more, that. It was more dynamic. But if you look back at the, some of the instances of Carter's presidency, you had, uh, Carter's in the shadow of the oil crisis. Sure. Um, He's having this death battle. America's having a death battle ideologically with the Soviet Union. And in hindsight, by 1979, it was winning that battle. Wasn't apparent right. in 1979, though. Wasn't apparent at all. Yeah. You still had African countries becoming Soviet client states, sure, etc. And then um, you had the Iran hostage crisis. So let's say if... Um, so how much of this is truly situational? And how much of this is, well, you know what, your time was up. Because you could easily see that, um, you could easily flip at least one of those things, which is that he could have led that mission um, into, you know, to, to get uh, those American hostages. And if he'd have managed to pull that off, he would have been, you know, potentially a somewhat more popular president. He could have gone into that 1980 election, you know, with a fighting chance of winning. For sure. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's kind of you're asking the, you know, core fundamental question is like, is this incredibly fatalist? And mm-hmm. just like, like I'm claiming here as just some dude that I know what's going to be the party of every president for the next 40 years. That's a big claim, right? So mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm not doing that lightly and I'm doing it with heavy caveats that no reasons that patterns have to hold, but if they do, here's what it'll be. Um, you know, it's interesting. Um, have you ever read, uh, the foundation series by Isaac Asimov? You know what? I listened to it on a long, uh, Canadian car, uh, drive up to, uh, Perry Sound 20 years ago, The Mule. And I just found it, uh, that uh, utterly brilliant and fascinating. For sure. Well, you know, to, to, to the listeners here who, who, who don't know, you know, Isaac Asimov, you know, famous science fiction, famous science fiction writer. Um, and there's this foundation series. Actually, um, the mule who you referenced, one of my initial questions was, is Trump the mule? You know, like with, with such like great, um, uh, like seemingly almost unshakable control of his supporters emotions. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was a question I asked myself. Um, but what I, what I, I read that when I was a kid. Um, and it, it fascinated me because, um, you know, Harry Seldon, the, 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 the fictional founder of, uh, of, uh, what was it? Um, was oh my it God. Psycho history? Psycho history, right. Yeah. Um, was, was basically able to say, look, we can't predict, um, individual actions here or there for a person or even a planet or whatever for kind of smaller scale things. But over mm-hmm. the broad scope of things, um, we, you know, things are somewhat predictable. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of where I'm operating from a much, much smaller version of that. Right. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, look, there's all kinds of things you can mention. Iran hostage, stagflation, you know, um, the Berlin wall. I mean, there's all kinds of like historical events, you know, that, that populate. And yet, despite the seeming randomness of that happening, a pattern still holds. And, and so it's weird, right? It's like, I, I don't have a great explanation other than, um, you know, events may push things here or there and like, you know, slightly manipulate things. But by and large, like these large scale patterns that have to do with millions of us, hundreds of millions of us trying to live together and sort this out. And like, how does society think? Like if, if society hmm. is one brain, 
How does that brain think? How does that brain go through through cycles? And um, you know, look, I'm sure if something were to happen that, you know, I'm sure the pattern could be disrupted one way or the other. There's like something that happens right before an election, some crazy war starts and the incumbent holds on or something like that. But I still think that that might disrupt patterns a little bit, but by and large, if patterns are real and if there is a deeper um, uh, reason behind them, sociologically speaking, then I think they will by and large hold over long periods of time. So really what you're talking about is a difference in the weather and climate. It's, that's, that's a great way to put it. Yes. All right. So, okay. Um, one of the kind of stunning things for me, well, look, looking at looking at your work and, and the data is, as we've kind of said before, there is a consensus around who have been the best and the worst American presidents. Right. And historians love to do these lists right. all the time. So, serious, serious. but you really noticed something um, when you put together your rankings of whether somebody was a transformer, a continuer a triangulator, et cetera, et cetera, and an ender, you really notice something. So tell us exactly what you noticed in the data. Right. So, um, so you know, I, I initially made this structure and, you know, I, I noticed who are the transformational presidents and then who are the roles and so on. But um, I wanted a little bit more rigor because, you know, it's just kind of like my opinion and like, you know, what I remember from school and my own research otherwise. And so mm-hmm. I took these historical rankings, which you know, they're not like super scientific, but they're, they're reasonably, they're kind of directionally correct, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, and although there's plenty of room for debate. And then what I did is I made a graph where I put the presidents in order, sort of like left to right. And I just put their rankings, you know, one to, I guess, 45, um, and how they are now. Now, I mean, you know, as presidents are newer, um, their ranking may change more over time, you know, cause it's fresher. It's hard to have a good perspective, but so, so, but I, I did this out. And, and when you sort of graph it out initially, it just looks like sort of a random scatter plot. Um, just pre- good presidents, bad presidents sort of scatter all over the place. But then I broke it out into the eras that I've defined here. Let's start with a transformer and go to an ender roughly every, you know, 40 years, give or take. And then I, I just did trend lines for each one of those eras. And I noticed something that was like immediately visually arresting where um, every single era started with a high-ranking president and then ended up with a low-ranking president. And in between, there was a sort of like downward downward trend. You know, like it's not a, it's not a perfect, it's not like, a, it's not perfectly along the line, but more or less when you have the data and then you color code it and then you put those lines in for each era, it definitely looks like um, a bunch of different eras. And that to me was the first hint where I'm like, okay, well, I have this pattern. It seems to be borne out to some degree by, um, you know, as, as good as we can get in terms of numerical data, you know, rankings are, are a reasonable proxy. Um, and the same pattern repeats again and again. Good president, mediocre presidents, bad president. And just the cycle repeats and repeats. And that to me, um, was pretty visually interesting and, you know, further, um, uh, confirmation that there might be something here. Hmm. There's, there's two kind of outliers in that, though, is that um, Obama is ranked as an above-average president. Correct. And in your realignment era, it, it that doesn't pan out, does it? Um, it, the, it the 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 um, trend line is still down, but not nearly as steep. Um, so, so I'll talk about realignment and then and then Obama. Realignment was kind of weird because you had a great president in Lincoln. 
immediately followed by a historically bad president in Johnson. And that wasn't because of an election. It was because of an assassination. Mm-hmm. And so that's sort of like an accident of history that like normally someone like Johnson wouldn't have gotten elected right then. And then you also at the tail end of that have McKinley, who um, as an ender in my parlance um, would usually be ranked lower, but he was actually kind of a mid-ranked president. Mm-hmm. And so um, definitely if you take Johnson out, because um, that was more just like an accident that happened um, then the line looks better. And then if you just accept that McKinley was a bit of an anomaly, sort of like straddling two eras, if you take those two outliers out, then the line looks just like the others. I mean, that's easy to do. It's say, oh, I'll just take my data, just take out the ones I don't like, right? I mean, <laughs> I, I understand that's an easy cop-out, but um, I'm very comfortable doing that with Johnson because, again, just sort of yeah. an accident, um, less so with McKinley. But, um, but, but so that one, but also I've said realignment was kind of a weird era. You know, honestly... It was kind of Lincoln, good, Johnson, bad, and everyone else just kind of in the middle um, mm. as America was trying to figure out who are we now. Yeah. Um, and then Obama, you know, it's hard to say because um, Obama, you know, his ranking right now is somewhere in like the, I think maybe like, you know, 14, 15-ish, you know, mm-hmm. like on average. Um, you know, I, I'm a supporter of, of uh, you know, I, I, I like Obama. I volunteered for him in 2008 and everything, but... Um, I, it's hard to tell historically how he's going to shake out, um, because we're still so near to it. Um, there is a tendency to, um, to elevate the presidents we like and to, and to, um, to, uh, to, to look negatively on the presidents we don't like. Um, I'd be interested to see in 40 years, um, what Obama's, um, uh, legacy is. I suspect that he probably ends up Somewhere in the ranked fifteen to twenty would would would, mm. would would be my guess um over time um or you know or or maybe maybe I'm wrong and maybe he you know was a transformer before his time and all that but um I, again, I think even he would admit that um two thousand eight was the right time for him to run for his political career, but even he said in the initial quote that got me thinking about this in the first place that he doesn't view himself as some sort of transformational figure. Mm. Um, you know, he aspires to do the best that he can, but even he was talking about that. We're all sort of prisoners of the era that we're in and we do the best we can, but we're also subject to broader cycles than ourselves. Mm. Just, just to end up with Obama, do you think that maybe Obama's ranking will never really be a true one? Um, because, He's the first non-white president, and that, and because of that reason, historically it will gain much more weight and credence. In that this is a symbol of America being true to its founding principles and ideals. So because of that, it'll always be you know maybe given an extra five places points. For sure, you know it, it, it could be, and and there's certainly something striking about it. you look at a wall of U.S. presidents and like. It's same, 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 different, right? You know, and, and I think that then after that, you're going to see a lot more, you know, diversity going forward, um, you know, as we just become a more inclusive country. This is a CBS News special report. I'm Katie Couric at CBS News election headquarters in New York. And we have breaking news, momentous news, really. CBS now estimates because of victories in California, Washington, Oregon, and Hawaii, CBS projects that Senator Barack Obama of Illinois will be the next president 
of the United States. He defeats John McCain, the senator from Arizona and Vietnam war hero. And no matter whom you voted for, you'd have to agree this is an incredible milestone in the history of this country. A century and a half after the Constitution abolished slavery and guaranteed blacks the right to vote, four decades after the passage of the Civil Rights Act, voters have chosen our first African-American president. Bob Schieffer and Jeff Greenfield, as we watch these dramatic pictures, and with all due respect, I think we probably want to stay on those pictures instead of shots of any of us. I mean, it is so incredible to see these crowds, the culmination of a two-year campaign and a lot of hopes and dreams of so many Americans. Katie, this is more than an election night in America. This is a momentous night in the history of our country. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I think actually, you know, it's interesting. Like, he'll probably get bonus points for that, you know, as, you know, and he did have to overcome, you know, historical odds. He was the first, right? And there's a lot to be said for that. Um, and, and sometimes those little also kind of quirks of history, um, can add, like, you know, Nixon probably would be ranked higher if he didn't end up having Watergate. Like, you know, otherwise his policies were actually, I mean, he founded the EPA, like he went to China, he did a lot of interesting stuff, right? Um, but then all anyone ends up remembering is Watergate, you know, probably to his detriment. The fact that Obama was the first president of color probably helps him, you know, on the positive end. Um, you know, you're right. He, he, he may gain, um, a couple points. And also, if in fact, um, it looks like, um, he was indeed the precursor to, um, to then who ends up being a transformational president. Um, I think he might even jump up even a little bit further. If, if, if like, let's say we get a Medicare for all or whatever, some other kind of like more encompassing healthcare system. And then people look back to Obamacare being like the first step in that. Um, he probably will get bonus points from that too. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, the, um, I'd say that, you know, arguably, actually, I hadn't really thought about this before, but arguably precursors 
might even be ranked a little bit, you know, better because enders are usually lower, but precursors, because they're sort of the hint of what's to come, which end up, ends up being a high ranking president, um, they probably get some, end up getting some credit for that as well, as they should. Considering that the speed of communication has rapidly increased, let's say since, I was going to say since 1945, let's forget that, since 1999. Are we not potentially going to see these cycles speed up? So 20 to 40 years becomes 20 years. I mean, so communication is getting faster. But again, all this stuff has happened throughout history. Like the Internet's much faster than phones, but then phones were much faster than telegraph and telegraph was much faster than letters and letters were much faster than, I don't know, smoke signals or whatever, whatever people did, you know, uh, mm. before that. Right. And so um, with each of these technological advances, I do think things change. But, um, but, you know, I think given in American politics specifically, incumbency is such a strong um, force. You know, it, it, like in my, in my pattern here, really the only people who don't get two terms are continuers and enders. Um, everyone else basically gets gets two terms because incumbent, mm. incumbency is so strong. And so could it be like, you know, I have an error here in, in my calculations that's 32 years. And I mean, even then, if you if you took away a couple of the um, terms, it could be as short as, you know, um, 24 years. But, you know, I still think that by and large, if this pattern holds, then it'll still be 40 plus or minus eight ish and i think it's an interesting point and an important point that what you say is that basically it's people going into the workforce and coming out of the workforce that that seems to really kind of underpin this doesn't it that at the end at the start the end of any era you don't have the same people who have their levers on political or economic power it's a completely different generation well it's the same it's it's different people in in the workforce as a whole and then also in the political workforce you know there's there's a whole group of people you know probably i don't know hundreds of thousands of people who like you know or maybe more who like work in just the realm of politics and they turn over you know so the conventional wisdom of one generation ends up being overturned by a new generation that you know believes things are different and they are and wants to leave its own mark Mm. so if you go back through your actual eras so you have the founding era which is 1788 george washington uh, through to John Quincy Adams, and that is incredibly neat because they are all the founders. Okay, John Quincy Adams wasn't a founder, but right. he was very much in that mold, wasn't yes. he? You yeah. know, he's the son of a president, right. and he was still somewhat noblesse noblige, and he was an intellectual. He was a thinker, very much in in the um, in the mold of mm-hmm. um, the other American presidents. And then sure. you have this radical shift in right. 1828 with Andrew Jackson, who is uh, proto-Trump. There's no yes. two ways about it. They both sure. have cra- crazy hair, and <laughs> they very much were, um, you know, sub- at least gave the affect of being from the people. Right. And, but Jackson was truly a self-made man. He, w- yep. he was poor, grew up sure. poor, made his fortune, uh, but he wasn't an intellectual. He wasn't a right. thinker in the way that um, the founders were. So go through that populist era for me, just very briefly. Um, Martin Van Buren was his uh, vice president. Right. 
who then stands. Uh, but okay, John Tyler. We can't really talk about William Harrison because he wasn't around long enough. But right. John Ty- John Tyler. Um, he was the first Whig. In what way is he basically the triangulator of the populist era, would you say? You know, and and so I should caveat that the further back we go, um, the less, like, I personally, you know, um, am, you know, I I, I did research into all these folks, but, you know, my my knowledge is still shakier on the Mm -hmm. Tyler administration than, say, you know, the Eisenhower administration. Um, Tyler was actually interesting because he was elected as a Whig with Harrison, but then became an independent, so to speak. But basically, um, you know, you had Jackson and Van Buren kind of start with like, you know, what what now is sort of the modern party system-ish, right? Because yeah. you look at like Washington was nonpartisan, Adams was Federalist, that was still like a long time ago. And then the next four presidents were all Democrat Republicans. Like they they were all. So it you know, it like the the dint of their roles was more by like their personalities than their than their parties. Um but then uh you know, I think what you had is that you had this party being established um, with Jackson Van Buren. And that was, by the way, coincided with when um, uh, more people got the right to vote, when it wasn't mm-hmm. only like landowners anymore. So uh, arguably 1824, which Jackson almost won, it's kind of it was kind of very controversial, um, that election. And then 1828, when he actually won, um, were the first elections where like a bunch of people got to vote that, mm-hmm. that never got the, to vote. The great before. unwashed. The great unwashed. <laughs> right, yeah. Right. Um, and, and, and so that was a new era, right? So then you get the Whigs who were kind of like the proto Republicans, you know, who ended up sort of becoming, I mean, you know, uh, Lincoln was a Whig before he was a Republican. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's just the other party being like, okay, here's a whole new thing. Here's these Democrats. They have like a, like I'd say an arguably like more partisan perspective than before, like the Democrat Republicans, everyone was Democrat Republicans and then it kind of splits and then you have one and then you have the other side, which is trying to figure it out. And by the way, you know, these party identities don't hold like, like, like Andrew Jackson was a Democrat and Lincoln was a Republican, but if they were alive today, they would likely be in the opposite mm-hmm. parties. You know, those identities change over time. Um, but only in American politics. So I have to keep on saying this to my, my American friends all the time, right. that Americans say this all the time, that, you know, oh, parties change over time. Not in the, Europe, not in the Western European perspective. Um, the Tory party, the Conservative party, has always been right of centre in, in sure. the United Kingdom. The democratic socialists in, I don't know, in Spain have always been democratic socialists. The Christian Democrats in Bavaria... Sorry, in Germany, because they're called the Christian Democratic Union, I think, in Bavaria, have always been right of centre. America is very peculiar in this regard. And I have to always pull Americans up when they say this and stuff. Well, you know, though it's, it's arguably it's only really changed like once, right? Like, like you had like the Democrats and the Republicans then and now. And at some point it, it switched. Over. Yeah. You know, it was kind of arguably with, I don't know, the, the I, I remember in, in history class when we were learning about... Um, uh, Roosevelt, and it was like a, a, a FDR rather, and it was yeah. a big thing where all of a sudden, um, you know, the coalitions very much changed um, mm-hmm. uh, with Roosevelt's election, and you had people that were formerly Republican voters, um, you know, saying like uh, they were convincing them, listen, the Democrats is actually the party uh, for you now, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I th- I think these um, these coalitions the, the changing 
is one of actually the things that causes errors um, or error change. I think that right now, for example, one reason why I have more confidence that we're going to enter a new era is that um, the coalitions don't really make sense right now. Like you have like the Democratic coalition, and the Republican coalition, and in both parties, you sort of have um, differences in social policy. And in both parties, you have differences in like in economic policy. And you have the haves and the have-nots in both. Um, and just the, the coalitions don't, like, you know, it, with Republicans, for example, putting like wealthy Wall Street um, bankers and, you know, um, rural uh, Southern evangelicals in the same party doesn't make a ton of sense. Um, it does It does make a ton of sense if you look at the last um, 150 odd years worth of socio-economic history in, in the Western world. But but maybe those economic labels are just less important now, much less important. And maybe that is the start of the new era, that it's not about economic label, it's about identity. I, I how What I identify as, I am a white American, um, I am an other is actually more important than my economic status. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it could break down around identity um, or it could cleave even more cleanly along economic lines. Um, you know, like one could, one could argue that, um, you know, if there was a Democratic candidate, um, you know, uh, in 2020, who could speak to both um, the, the current coalition, but also this coalition of people who are a lot of Trump's base, um, but who aren't materially improving economically under this administration, but are sort of mm. like, um, you know, being brought along through other kind of emotional um, uh, tactics. Um, one could very much see them um, coming into the Democratic side. And then one could also see the elites that are on the Democratic side end up going to the Republican side. Um, and you might end up actually having a party of haves versus a party of have-nots. Like, you know, it, it might kind of like split down the middle or it might cleave totally along the lines of identity. Um, I don't know for sure, but I suspect that the uneasy coalitions we have today are signs that the, the fire hasn't started yet, but there's a lot of smoke where mm-hmm. like things, like I think most people think like the way it is right now is weird. Um, and, uh, it's probably when you have all that tension built up, usually it like changes in a big way all at once. Mm. All right. So I'm, I must admit the, the your populist era, as you so dub it through to the re- end of the realignment era, the two eras of American, uh, kind of political history, which I know the least, obviously I know Jackson and obviously we know Lincoln and the civil war. Right. Um, so the populist era is a populist era because because give me two lines um the, what you said before that was a, the great unwashed or like or you know before before was they it come before? Into the, they come into the franchise okay right. yeah got it's it. a whole new thing you got twice as many voters or i, I, don't, I right. don't know how, how many but a ton more oh, okay all right all white men basically get the vote at, yeah. at that point right regardless of whether they have property or not right exactly um but we still have the electoral college just to dampen down any craziness sure. that, that goes on. <laughs> All right, so, you know, so the the oligarchs there, the political oligarchs, are still holding their hand, hands on the tiller, and it's the the, uh, the founding fathers put that in as uh, just to hold back extreme democracy if needs be. Sure. All right, great. So then we have the realignment era. Um, you called it the realignment era because. 
Well, I mean, you know, it, it just seems like it was America finally wrecking, uh, reckoning with its, you know, original sin or, you know, this original, I mean, not only a sin, but like a really unsustainable system of, of slavery. Like, like it just like, like that, you know, you could have almost guessed in the beginning that this was going to come to a head at some point, you know, it's just hard to have two systems that are that different in, in the same country. And then, you know, we had the civil war to finally sort that out through a lot of blood. Um, and then it's sort of like realigning now. I mean, you know, I, I didn't say like re, you know, th- there was a couple different names I had considered like, well, that, re- that, that was what I was going to ask you because surely it's a period of really reconstruction, but you didn't want to use that word. Because Reconstruction already has a very specific meaning, um, mm-hmm. which is like the, you know, the, what the, basically the grant through, um, Hayes, I think, or grant through Arthur. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so that's, that's kind of what Reconstruction already means. So I, so I stayed away from that word. Okay. All right. So realignment means exactly that America is coming to, um, as, as dealt with its original sin, the fundamental contradiction between the Declaration of Independence and its aims and its right. noble aims, and the fact that at that point, what one in every five Americans were held in right. bondage. Right. right. So there's a realignment. Um, again, right. I, I know that Grover Cleveland was fat. I know. Um, oh, was it Chester Arthur? I didn't know. There's, some, well, well, there's, there's well, some fat presidents around there. Go on. Uh, well, uh, Taft was the one that got stuck in a bathtub. Oh no, no, Taft is the super fat one, right. and then Grover <laughs> Cleveland is the one who looks like that actor Crumbs. Anyway, I'm going to move on. I'm going to I'm going to move on. Surely that era is broken up into two. And I'm thinking about this economically as opposed to politically, because as I I hold my hand up, right, for somebody who does um, a podcast about American history and then also another show about um, American politics, my innate knowledge, detailed knowledge of the 1880s to to 1900 American politics is pretty scant in terms of, um, I know the names of the presidents. I couldn't tell you what the signature achievement right. was and i think that's in part because isn't that the, the gilded age that's right. that's robber corporate barons robber so barons, can't yeah. you neatly um divide that era into two that this is corporate um america it's your carnegies and your rockefellers who um really do have their uh, stranglehold on on american economy you've got sure. a mass wave of immigration coming from southern europe eastern sure. europe and it transforms america so right. that to me feels like two eras put together yeah i mean it, it might be and and the realignment's also a weird one you know i say this in the piece like I have five different presidents jammed into the continuer slot on that one just because mm-hmm. like, look, patterns aren't perfect. Um, and after the Civil War was a really weird time. You know, it was like trying to put the country back together. There was just a lot of, of uncertainty and, and a lot of like trying to figure out what the country is going to be after this like huge, huge trauma um, uh, on, on the nation. Um, and so, you know, I'm sure and like, you know, you have Cleveland serving non-consecutive terms. You have um, McKinley as an as probably the highest ranked, what I call an ender, who doesn't really fit neatly into that. I mean, he kind of straddles the realignment and, and uh, realignment era and the progressive era. So there's a lot of weird things about that era. It's not it's not the the best holding of the pattern, but 
it um it does a decent a decent job um i mean because you know cleveland is both what i would call a triangulator and a precursor he was arguably a triangulator because he was the first democrat elected in what like uh you know 24 years mm-hmm. um but he's arguably not a precursor to tr at all um so you know there there are things that don't hold that well um the reason why i wouldn't say necessarily that it's a new era is in my theory um eras start with transformational presidents mm-hmm. um and i don't think there's any argument that cleveland or harrison or any of those folks were transformational um and so that's but, the but, reason but why interestingly, I though, interestingly um going through doing doing the work and the research that i have done on Amer- 10 american presidents grover cleveland until the 1960s was seen as a lion of the democratic party if you go, if you go back and look at um, footage of party conferences, Grover Cleveland was the man, and in part, I believe it was because he was the first Democrat in a, in like forever to actually yeah. to uh, get, gain office again. Sure. But as as you said, you know, the one of the reasons why he's fallen massively out of favour is because he represents a Democratic Party which is now more akin to the Republican Party. Right. Well, and, yeah. and of course, of course, he'd be considered a line because, I mean, he was the literally the only Democratic president in a 52 year span from mm. from 1860 to 1912. So um, so, of course, you know, like like any party is going to look back to its like perhaps, you know, more recent ish achievements yeah. um, with uh, with pride. But, yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, but, but, as but, history goes, but just, you know, if we were doing. If we were uh, doing this interview, if it was possible <laughs> to do this interview, let's say in uh, 1910, we would actually say that Grover Cleveland was a transformational uh, president. We would. Hmm. If we're doing it in 1910, so that would have been. I mean, it's all easier with the hindsight of history, right? Like, like, like most things while you're living them don't necessarily seem transformational sure. or it's, 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 it's hard when you're living through something to be like, this is actually historic, right? Or, or future generations will look to this time as being historic. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, perhaps, um, I am not an expert on the achievements of, you know, either of the Cleveland administrations, but I know that at least since then, historically, um, TR and Lincoln seem to be held in significantly higher regard. No question of that. No question of that. Hence, I'm saying um, I was su- totally surprised looking back at the Democratic uh, Party conference of 1960. Okay. Yeah. And you can actually see the, the images and there's massive pictures of Grover Cleveland. And ditto 1948 with Truman, like he was seen as, you know, um, a lion of the party. Sure. Not at all now. History has been a not so kind to his legacy. Sure. He just said, sure. you're just a run in a mill president. Just kind of, but, you know, but, but middle's not bad. There's a lot of presidents on the lower tier. So mid tier, as far as it goes, you know, not too bad. So that, that's a, uh, that was the realignment era. And then we have the, prog- the progressive era, which I think. Everybody kind of has an idea of what, what that is. Uh, it, you kind of start it with Theodore Roosevelt, and I think most people do, and he, he is your uh, transformer. Right. And then we have uh, Big Fat Taft. Uh, we have a little <laughs> bit of uh, semi-fascist Wilson. Uh, and then we have Warren Harding uh, with him and his lovers, and then um, 
And then we have Calvin Coolidge, uh, who right. never said a word. And then we end up with Hoover. And he does right. perfectly seem to fit your model. Though there is no precursor there, though, is there? Yeah, yeah. Th- th- that's the only one in my model where there really just is no precursor to FDR, as far as, far as I could tell. Um, you know, all the other ones I was able to kind of like at least, whether closely or at least semi-closely, make a case mm-hmm. there. Um, but yeah, the progressive era... Um, doesn't seem to be a precursor. I don't have a good explanation for that. Um, you know, it just kind of, um, you know, and, and so that's why the model's not perfect and there certainly could be holes or things in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was one where just for one reason or another, um, history didn't end up that way. And going back to the Mule and Isaac Asimov and uh, psycho history, uh, right. regardless of whether there's going to be a Wall Street crash, we were always going to get that massive uh, realignment. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, and, and arguably, I don't know, I think these things like feed off each other, like the president mm-hmm. makes the role and the role makes the president, because we're all, you know, uh, you know, small pieces in in a larger story. And, you know, like, no, none of these folks going into office is like, trying to do a bad job, or, 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 or trying to do something that's going to be viewed by historically by historians later unfavorably. You say that no presidents go into power to do a bad job. I don't know about this president. Like, he seems to be a total wrecking ball. Decades of progress made in bringing down crime are now being reversed. I know that corruption has reached a level like never, ever before in our country. Poverty and violence at home, war and destruction abroad, 180,000 illegal immigrants with criminal records ordered deported from our country are tonight roaming free to threaten peaceful citizens. So, you know, like I'm I, like I, I'm not a supporter of the of the, of the current president. And, and I, I'm, I'm trying as I talk about this thing to try to stay more nonpartisan because like because I didn't make Trump an ender in my model as a screw you. It's just I just went where the data took me and it just happened to be that way. But I just personally also happen to not be a supporter. Um you know, like, you know, it's actually interesting. So I, I do think that history will end up, um, looking at Trump, you know, likely unfavorably. Um, you know, and, and I, I don't say that as a, as a, I, I, I'm trying not to say that as a partisan. I'm just trying to say it as a, you know, as neutral as, as observer as I can mm. be. And what's interesting, there's another pattern in if American history. If nothing else, if nothing else, to try and be as fair as to Trump as you can, he's broken so many presidential norms that he almost feels potentially transformational, but you can't see where this can go if you extrapolate it. Right. Well, exactly. And, and that was my initial thought. I was like, okay, well, is Trump the start of a new era? Like, let, let's examine this. Um, at the end of the day, I, I suspect he'll, he'll actually lose in the next election and we'll, we'll get a transformational progressive. Um, but there's another interesting pattern in American history that I didn't put in the article because it was getting too long. But um, here's mm-hmm. another sort of interesting thing that I, that I observed. Um, I say the cycles go of the eras approximately every 40 years, but there is an every 50 year pattern that goes back um, several hundred years. And that is of presidents that are sort of like significantly more corrupt than, th- th- than usual. I'm sure every president has some, some huh. shady stuff they do, et cetera. I'm not saying anyone's perfect or anyone's an angel, but, but by and large, um, you got, so by the time the Trump stuff shakes out, it's going to be, you know, 2020. 
then you go back and so that's the 2020s. Then you have Nixon, Nixon in the 1970s yeah. with Watergate. You have um, uh, uh, the 19 the 1920s. You have uh, uh, Harding and Teapot Dome. Um, in the 1870s, you have um, Grant and is it the Credit Mobilier? Yeah. Is, that, yeah. is that the yeah. name of mm-hmm. the scandal? You're right. And then and then 1820s. Kind of, you have the corrupt bargain of 1824 to give Quincy Adams the election. Arguably, mm. it's more about an election than it is about. Um, yeah, so is, but, but also, all, yeah. also in, in 1870s, um, uh, the way that Hayes got into power was also pretty pretty suspect. Mm. But what's interesting is every 50 years, when you go back almost to the founding, you have a president that's kind of known for significant corruption. And why that is, um, and, and by the way, each of those presidents I named are, are different roles, um, in, in, in my schematic. So I can't really explain that. Um, it might be generational again. It might be that, you know, like after, for example, after Nixon went down in, um, 74 in, in those, um, midterm elections, cause he went down in August. Then in those midterm elections, you had this group that became known as the Watergate Babies, right? Which are like all these freshman uh, Congress people where it's super about ethics and Carter in the next election was like, I will not lie to you. And it's all about ethics, right? And I suspect that, um, who knows, maybe politics is too broken now, but if history is any guide, then when Trump does, you know, um, st- you know g- get out of office one way or the other, I suspect you're going to have a big wave of people that are, you know, looking to contrast themselves with the era that just ended and be all about ethics and transparency and all that. And then that mm. will taper and peter out over time and the cycle will start anew. I, th- I just think everything is cycles. It'll be written into law that an, America, that an American president or prospective presidential candidate need to declare their taxes for a start. That that, that's of- already in some states, for sure, in some primaries. Oh, okay. All right. So, um, what what conclusions other than kind of like what? Because we've, we've kind of had a bit of a free reading conversation. We haven't even done this in a linear fashion. I think it's sure. right and proper that we started with the most uh, identifiable era, which is the sure. era of the of the individual. Right. Uh, now, because we all know those presidents, right? For sure. Um, so what what next for you, sir? Uh, you, you're potentially going to look at, at the UK political system. Um, what next? What can you do with, with this model? Yeah. So with this model, I think what I would, you know, it's actually funny for the UK system. Um, I actually did um, research at uh, Cambridge University when I was in grad school. And, and, and so at, at one point, I actually put all the British prime ministers on a similar type of, uh, of, of spreadsheet because I was trying to understand. I was doing research in industrial policy um, post-World War II. And um, so I started to notice some stuff there. So probably, you know, UK prime ministers is it's harder because it's I know I guess it's like formally scheduled every five years, but it doesn't actually turn out that way. Um, uh, uh, not, not at and, all. And, it, 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 it's a proper mess. And we've only just really yeah. changed the law in the last five years so basically any government so a maximum term of a government was five years but any government could call an election actually whenever they wanted within that five years sure 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 right right so um so yeah so i i i think that the uk would actually be good in that respect because although there's not the regularity of of elections that we have here which is every four years like clockwork 
Um, if human, if, if this is due to a fundamental thing about human nature and generations, mm-hmm. then something should hold, you know, um, th- then you probably do have, you know, um, perhaps, you know, Atlee as the start of one era that ends with, you know, Callahan and then Thatcher is the start of another era that's mm-hmm. arguably still going on. Um, you know, within, you, then you had kind of Blair in the middle and then you still have a bunch of conservatives after that. So, mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it might actually be, you know, one could argue that, you know, if it is historically speaking similar, then, um, you know, Johnson currently could be the ender of the Thatcher era. And then there may be a transformational progressive that comes along in the UK. Um, you know, and that probably given all the, you know, um, uh, drama going on right now probably wouldn't be super surprising. Wouldn't be super surprising at all. Uh, one thing which um, we didn't actually uh, remark upon, your last era you call the humanist era. Right. And you say from 2020, you're going to have a transformer. They're going to serve two terms, then a continuer for one in 2028. will also be a Democrat. So right. transformer will be a Democrat. Let's, let's underline that. Then your uh, triangulator uh, will come along in 2032, which will be a Republican. Um, why is it the humanist era for a starter? Um, so I was trying to think of, you know, like the way I define eras is like, what was the conversation that was happening? So basically FDR, you know, like set the conversation that happened over, over, the, over the rest of that era for every president under that era. Mm-hmm. Reagan set the conversation that happened, um, you know, for the rest of that era. So whoever the next president is, um, and this may not become super apparent until, you know, several years or maybe even a decade or two in. But I suspect that the next 40 years, um, it's like tech is going to get crazy and climate change is going to get real. Um, and, you know, and I'm in the tech industry. So, you know, so I see firsthand um, the um, the speed that, that tech grows and it's a lot more exponentially um uh, exponential of a curve than than most people realize. Like you know, as human beings, we're we're not really accustomed to things that are that are exponential, um, but it's moving incredibly fast. Um, and um, and and climate change. Like I, I actually tend to be um, generally techno optimistic. I, I I think that we will come up with things that are going to save the planet, but I think it's going to be painful in the meantime. And I think we still need to like work really hard to to get there. But I think that, um, that those two things are going to be real. And what those have in common is what do you do with all the people? Like, like as, as more and more jobs are automated, what happens to the people as, as more and more land becomes uninhabitable or, or you have to, you know, t- do different things? What happens to the people? Um, and so I think that over the next 40 years, um, if you put it this way, it's, um, you know, 2019 now. So you think about how different our lives look now than, than mm-hmm. it did in 1979, right? Um, you know, 40 years prior. And so as different as that is, I think it's going to be even more different because tech has an exponential curve. Um, that's, you know, that 2060 is going to look super, super different than, than 2020 does. And I just think the conversation of this next era is, we have these societies that have all these, this abundance, like, you know, like in, in general of, of the entire society, we're actually doing very well. Um, you know, like output is great. Um, technological, uh, uh, um, capabilities are great. We're producing lots of food, all that. The distribution needs some work for sure, but the capabilities are great. And so 
I just think a lot of it's going to be about, you know, the continuing of this like timeless battle perhaps uh, about how do you grow things and then how do you share things? Um, you know, that that's always going to continue as, as it should. Um, but I just think that, and you know, maybe, maybe in 40 years I'll revisit the name and, and it'll be something that's different. But from our vantage point now going into it, it seems to me the main conversation is going to be about we got a lot of people and a lot of wealth, but it's not distributed very well. And also, how do we how do we distribute things while also still maintaining growth? Like I'm very much a capitalist. I'm very much into markets, and, and I think it's the most efficient way. I'm a businessman, and, and so I love all that stuff. But I still think we need to have a you know society where people are taken care of, you know, and we don't have people starving or freezing or any of those things. Um, and so. Um, and so I just think that that's going to be the conversation. And I think that whoever wins in 2020 should, my thesis be correct about being a transformational progressive, we are going to be continuing the conversation that that president lays out for the next 40 years, and it's going to be about people. And that next president is not only going to be a transformational progressive, it's going to be female, it's going to be the first female president. I mean, you know, look, I, I'm writing a piece about this now. Um, my bet is Warren. Um, I, I, I think that um, that she has the um, the most. When you look across the board, like who has a transformational agenda, who has broad appeal, who um, who knows how to work the levers of of government, you know, and has some uh, experience there. Um, uh, who um, uh, and who also has a clear message um, to get elected in the first place. It, like, like, like my my money would be that that Warren would be the next one, and in my next article, I'm going to explain. You know, again, I'm trying not to be a partisan. I'm trying to do this just as logically as I can. Um, but that's where my logic leads me, and I'll, I'll, I'll expand on that more in my next article. So, Misha, um, where can people find um, all of your articles online? Uh, so, you know, believe it or not, like I actually just started writing, and this was my first thing that I've written and posted publicly in a long time. I've been an entrepreneur. I was in grad school. I was working. I just didn't really have time. And so I'm just kind of building up my online presence again or whatever. But on Twitter, I'm Misha Lay, M-I-S-H-A-L-E-Y. And then I actually will probably put a link there to my Medium. But on Medium, I'm also Misha Lay. I'm Misha Lay everywhere. If you ever want to find me, I'm Misha Lay on, on all the things. Um, and so, um, yeah, probably on medium and Twitter is the, is the best way. And I'll be publishing an article soonish about why I think that Warren is best positioned to be the next FDR. And then I'm going to be publishing an article about, um, my perspective as a, cause I'm, I'm a, I'm a technology, I'm a technologist. I've done a lot in creative technology and how to do content creation and internet engagement and things like that. And I have some thoughts about how the left wing, um, probably would, how they'd be most successful in leveling the social media uh, battlefield that I think the right wing is quite better at this time right now at, um, at using social media. Um, but I think that there are ways to level the playing field there. So I'm going to talk about that as well. Demita Levinich, thank you for coming on to Mid-Atlantic and sharing your, your Isaac Asimov-like uh, <laughs> take on social psychohistory. Uh, but specifically looking at the cycles, the recurrent patterns of American politics uh, and how it plays out through society. Thank you for coming on the show, sir. My pleasure. Thank you.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.